Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to watchnebula.com slash not overthinking with a little hyphen thing in between the not and the overthinking. So watchnebula.com slash not dash overthinking. Through Nebula, you'll firstly get access to all of our podcast episodes ad-free. Secondly, you'll see exclusive content from me and a load of other educational-ish creators. And thirdly, it directly supports this podcast. So you'll incentivize me and Tame to record more episodes. My name is Ali. I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor. I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I think we should uh, pull back the curtain and reveal that we're recording this about two hours after we recorded the previous episode. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're back recording, which is a, like a thing that you're supposed to be doing when you're... <laughs> When you're a content creator. Yeah. Um, so we won't we won't do the whole like how's your week bit. <laughs> well, for the past I think for the past hour or so, we've been watching Hunter X Hunter on the TV. Yeah, but you've been sort of doing weird stuff on your laptop at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm writing causal documentation while we're doing that because I've already seen the series. But I think Ali's uh, you're enjoying it, right? I'm enjoying it. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, have, have we got a sponsor for this episode? I don't know. Skillshare did the last one. Yes. I think we might have Brilliant for this one. I need to double check on my laptop. Uh, can you go grab my laptop? Why should I do it? Because you're closer. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> we, in fact, do not have a sponsor for this, week episode, this week's episode. We have sponsors from the 7th of June onwards. You're telling me we're, we're not getting anything out of this episode? Correct. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, mm, have we got, is, is there any way the audience can give us money? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just kidding. It's all good. It's all good. Um, yeah. What are we talking about this week? So there was one thing that I wanted to talk about. Let me just bring up my notes. Uh, Rome. Rome is now invite only. Uh, not quite. It's a got a waiting list. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It now has a waiting list. And they've released some invites to the waiting list today. Ah. But it was it didn't have a waiting list before, right? No, it didn't. It got it, it acquired the waiting list like last week. Yeah, they got like thirty five k people signing up to the waiting list. Yeah, I think so. A couple of months. So Thomas Frank did a video about Rome, which got like two hundred fifty thousand views, <laughs> and I think that was like the oh, biggest okay. marketing push that they got. Yeah, that's pretty op. It's pretty op. Yeah, it's pretty op when you've got like <laughs> you know if you're if you're in this sort of space and you've got YouTube channels that have like you know two million subscribers like Thomas Frank or even like mine now with like seven hundred k, just like doing. A review like of, of an app yeah, yeah that app is gonna blow up yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous <laughs> i feel like we should get paid more for this <laughs> notion if, if you guys are, if you guys are listening okay so the the thing that i wanted to talk about are you familiar with uh, a chap called eric weinstein not harvey weinstein <laughs> <laughs> i've heard the name eric weinstein but I don't, okay. i'm not familiar with him at all Who so eric weinstein runs a podcast called the portal okay the I've portal launched under a year ago the first episode made quite a splash it was with peter Thiel tech investor founder guy um eric weinstein uh his background is uh is as a mathematician i think he was a mathematician for a while like an academic yeah and then he uh i think he mostly has spent his career since then uh running peter Thiel's hedge fund oh uh, okay and he started a podcast and th this guy is this guy is just absolutely unreal like i <sighs> I feel like everyone else on the... Well, most people on the internet are drinking from the same fire hose of the same ways of thinking and the same like priorities about of the things that they think about and the things that they care about and the ways that they think. Whereas Eric Weinstein seems to me to be very... To approach everything very differently. And you can you can just sort of... You really get the impression that he has been detached from the societal Kool-Aid and has been 
sort of, uh, you know, doing things his own way for a while. Okay, like, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, so, I mean, to start off with, I'll, I, I mean... Okay, look, so do I do I have specific notes about this? Okay, I think like con concretely, he the things that he he spends seems to spend time thinking of. I mean, for, for a start, he's he just seems to be almost like a polymath. And I think like yeah, he he seems to be very knowledgeable and well-read about a broad range of topics. And I think he values that and is intentionally sort of cultivating the sort of uh he's a renaissance man. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, sort of. I, I think he he sees you know the old. I think back in the day, like the the sort of yeah, you know, there there was a culture of you know. The, the, I think intellectual culture was about kind of sort of like being a polymath. Like the the great sort of uh, intellects and the great thinkers were all you know very broad. You know, they they knew about lots of different things and they did sort of you know, study lots of different things. I think nowadays everything is becoming a lot more specialized and the sort of. Uh, yeah, the kind of polymath vibes are no longer there. And I think Eric Weinstein values that. And that's kind of how he's been uh, approaching things. Okay. And so I think... I'm going to need some concrete examples here. This is yeah, all yeah, yeah. pure <laughs> conjecture at this point. <laughs> he seems to he seems to uh, do a lot of thinking on a very, very like big picture stuff around like uh, culture and how it's changing and things like that. And like society and... All right, let, let's move away from that point. I don't think I'll, I'll make notes about where when I listen to more of his podcasts on that stuff. But that wasn't that wasn't my main point. Um, his his podcast is ridiculous. I will we'll link some episodes in the show notes. Um, but like the you know you know how people complain about the preambles in podcasts. Like I've seen lots of people tweet that. Oh my god, I hate it when like they're just chit chatting at the start of a podcast. Like just get to the actual topic, man. Eric Weinstein's preambles are way better than the vast majority of podcasts I've ever listened to. His preambles are amazing. Uh, okay, high praise indeed. Any examples? Uh, so it's, okay, so the episode, the episode that got me thinking about a few things was uh, a recent episode, episode 34, with his son, Zev Weinstein. His son's like 15 or something. Oh, okay. Um, so this was, this was particularly interesting. And the preamble was essentially, uh, like I'm, I won't do it justice and like you should go listen to it, but it was about how uh how we're how we're moving away from taste in society towards sort of uh yeah well we're sort of moving to towards a world where everything has to be mandated or legislated and there is no way for people to cooperate uh according to matters of taste uh okay what does that what do you mean and so i think one of what okay so i mean for, first of all like it's impossible to uh sort of try and try and state anything objectively like you know if you say like you know i think mozart was the best you know composer or something then uh you know someone would be like oh that's just your opinion man like what's you you know how you, it's not objective whatever and that's fine that that's not like the core of the issue right <laughs> but for example uh the example he gave was that you know if he's in a grocery store with his family or something right and there is someone else in the grocery store who is uh I don't know, let's say they're having a public sh sort of argument slash shouting match with their spouse or something and they're swearing and stuff. You know, he, you know, we seem to be moving towards a society where you would not have a leg to stand on if you were to approach this person and say, hey man, just letting you know, uh, you know, people, people can hear you, you probably don't want to do this. Uh, you know, we're, we're moving towards a place where the response would be like, you know, who, who are you to tell me what to do? This isn't illegal. Like, screw you. I'll do what I want kind of thing. 
Uh, and like, the, yeah, there's no like objective justification for like why why this guy shouldn't be yelling and shouting in a grocery store yeah. in front of in front of other people. It's, it's a matter of taste. In bad taste, yeah. It's yeah, it's a matter of taste, and it's a matter of like people having a shared understanding of yeah, some some kind of uh, shared taste that they sort of subscribe to or at least sort of uh, respect. But we're sort of moving to a place where like it seems like the rule of law is is the only thing that that will govern people and people it, it seems like people want to want to have like black and white rules for absolutely everything and can't leave anything down to taste and that makes it extremely difficult for yeah cooperation in general um but anyway you should listen to the thing okay that wasn't the point okay that cool. wasn't what i was trying to get <laughs> i was here. gonna make some points on that point but then i, I, I wondered if you were actually making if that was the point no no that wasn't my point okay fine. My, you should you should definitely listen to the episode sure. it's on my it's on my list Okay, so the the thing that got me thinking about uh, that, that this episode got me thinking about was that so his son is uh, I think they recorded this episode a few weeks ago as his t- as his son was turning fifteen, uh, so I think uh, yeah he was fourteen when they started the recording and he was fifteen at the end of the recording. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> and the thing that stood out to me, I mean, okay, wait, is that actually true? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> right. I thought you were just. Trying to make a joke or something. No, no, no. They 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 kind of timed it that way. I see. Uh, and I think uh, Eric wanted to basically like chat to his son about what it's like to be a fourteen year old nowadays, and uh, yeah, where his head's at basically, and kind of reflecting on for being fourteen. I suppose uh, I think that would be an interesting podcast format, just like podcasting with your kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> As like a way of actually finding out what's going on inside their heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there was a tweet going around that um, these days a podcast is just. Um, white men's version of therapy yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a podcast is just a way for white men to get together and actually have a deep meaningful conversation yeah yeah i think i saw that tweet that was good um yeah, i think it helps but okay essentially when you listen to this you will come away thinking that like there is no way this kid is 14 years old you'll think there is no way this kid is under 30 <laughs> like okay. just the way he the way he talks and so I, th- I think on the, there's a surface level of like, oh my God, like what, what am I witnessing here? Because he doesn't sound like a 14 year old. Just, just like the way he talks and the words he uses and stuff. He's like extremely articulate. Um, and it, it, he talks, talks very similarly to, to Eric, his dad, which is, which is like fine. I think that's like a surface level of like, okay, that's, that's interesting. I think the, the way in his thought process was actually more interesting because he was consistently saying things or, or or like thinking in a certain way like for example i think they were they were talking about the i don't know eric has certain spiels about certain things that he thinks are, are true about the world and i think i think zev disagrees with him on certain things and so i think when eric asked a question zev i think he he sort of i don't know he started going into a little bit of why he thinks his dad is actually like biased in a certain way he he was he 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 was sort of analyzing the dad's thought process and biases before answering the question, and kind of yeah he was just thinking like three three levels deeper than I don't know I would have been thinking when I was fourteen like I I, I I've started to think along a lot of the same lines that I I sort of noticed him thinking in the, in the past few years I've started to think along those lines, and this fourteen year old seems to be yeah just reasoning and thinking at a very adult level and it got me thinking but like how how do you sort of end up that way and like what are what are the what are like the turning points that level up your thinking about stuff and i and i can so i I think 
there are actually a few discrete turning points in my life where I feel like my mind was leveled up. And I think, um, I think part, I think it mostly comes down to, okay, if you bear with me for, for a second here and accept that there is some, you know, some progression in terms of thinking, you know, it's, it's like, there are, there are ways of thinking (laughs) that are more advanced than others. Just, you know, agree with me on that okay let's take that as, as given like a two a two-year-old's way of reasoning about the world is less advanced than the you know most 18 year olds ways about reasoning about the world and that is you know generally less advanced than like you know some some older people okay and yeah the question is like how do you how do you go up the up the levels and i think part of the reason how this kid is highly advanced for his age i mean i think there's a massive genetic factor uh yeah, his his family seemed to be very kind of high intellect uh, t- you know, t- type people by any objective standard, but I think it's also that I think that they they talked about Eric's parenting style and things like that. They talk about it uh, during during the episode. I think it's it's be- also because Zev was taken seriously and engaged with seriously uh, from a very young age. Where so I think yeah, Eric talks about an incident where like. His son was like three years old and was, uh, I don't know. I think he, he asked some question about like some physics particles stuff. Yeah, protons and neutrons or something, you know, which a, most, a three-year-old doesn't have any business thinking about this stuff. But <laughs> th- this kid was, and essentially he was given a particular description about, you know, particles that was like a simplification of, you know, how things actually work. And, you know, at age three, he'd like thought about this. And he thought it didn't really add up. He, he thought like this description didn't really add up. And he asked a question. I can't remember exactly what the question was. It was like, yeah, I can't remember what it was. But like he basically asked a question which would sound like a stupid question. Like if, if a kid put their hand up in class and asked like this question, you'd think, all right, he has no idea what he's talking about. You know, just like shut, shut up and move on, kid. That's not relevant kind of thing. Um, but I think through a process of being taken seriously by older people uh it actually helps developed in that no no what the kids are like sort of uh you know in inference machines basically right you have all this sort of data coming in about the world and then you sort of make inferences about how you know how the world is and so you know you'll be taught stuff in school which will usually be simplifications of, of of various things uh in all the subjects and stuff and you'll kind of build up your own worldview based on that but like Kids might draw incorrect inferences sometimes by not taking certain things into account. So for example, I mean, yeah, just linked to the stuff we were talking about with transaction analysis, you know, if some old, if, if you're like five years old and some older person tells you something, you're probably not going to question it, you know? And like, as a five-year-old, it's, it's reasonable for you to take that at face value, but like your inference engine is obviously not that advanced because you're not questioning the thing that, that that's coming in, right? Um, and like your inference engine might not be that advanced, but it's still sensible. It's it's still reasonable based on all the information you have. And so if a kid is like asking a question, it's... It's a sign that their inference engine is yielding a response which is not compatible with the way that they've been told things are. Right, yeah, yeah. Like based on the information they have, they have reached a conclusion which se- which, which seems to be wrong, but that's obviously not their fault. Like yeah, th- th- that the fault is, of the data going in. Right, yeah. It's it's almost certainly like a reasonable thought process. Um, it's just that like somewhere along the lines, some data that went in was was slightly mm. faulty or something, right? And so 
Uh, I mean, this Zev guy apparently has, on paper, a bunch of learning difficulties. Apparently he's dyslexic, uh, a few other sort of things. Um, and he didn't learn very well at school at all. And I think most of his teachers sort of wrote him off for asking stupid questions and that kind of stuff. Um, when clearly he is very, you know, in- intellectually able. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll get that impression from the podcast as well. And so I think it was the process of being taken seriously and engaged with seriously, almost like in an adult way, by adults around him that really helped this and looking back you know i don't remember most things in much detail from my childhood but i don't think i was generally treated this way i don't think i think almost no one is treated this way for example i remember one incident in year four we were doing like a science experiment or something where we were trying i think there was some like boiling water in a cup and we were trying out different different sort of uh covers for the cup to see which one would like contain the most hold in the most heat or something so i think we tried like cling film we tried bubble wrap we tried a couple of other things on top of the cup to like hold in the heat as like an experiment to see what's like the most insulating or something like that right and i remember i'm not sure why why i remember this but i I remember strongly believing uh strongly believing a priori that the bubble wrap would be the most would would be the most insulating because it would reflect the heat back down into the water to keep it uh, to keep it hot. All right, the bubble wrap. The bubble wrap. Right. Okay. <laughs> and now the obvious thing that you'll think is, well, what's to say that the cling film won't do the same? Like, what's special about bubble wrap? I don't know what was special about bubble wrap. My thought process was the bubble wrap will obviously and definitely reflect like the heat back into the water, and so that's like that's going to be like the the most insulating material. And I remember. Telling my teacher this, Miss Rody. Do you remember Miss Rody? Yeah. <laughs> I remember telling Miss Rody this, and I don't. I think she didn't engage with it. Like basically, if I had been engaged with seriously, someone would have said, "All right, why do you think it's bubble wrap? Why can't the same be said of the cling film or something?" Right? And that would. I. I think it's moments like that that sort of level up your inference engine into thinking in a new way when you are when someone who is. And a more advanced level of thinking kind of expose you. Like you can't, you, you sort of have to be exposed to it. It's hard to arrive at new ways of thinking by just sitting and thinking about stuff. I mean, it happens, but like it's much easier to get exposed to a new way of thinking about something by someone else who's already thinking in that way. Yeah. And so I think like, and this is something I always try to do with kids, which is like actually take them seriously and like understand their thought process and sort of, you know, push them and prod them a little bit to, encourage them to physically or <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's always a bit of that <laughs> yeah push them in problem to encourage them to kind of think differently if if you feel like their, their thinking isn't quite right on something and i think it's it's all it's just not really done and i think it's like a huge thing and so i think like one one turning point for me where i think my, my thinking was saying the next level i think i mentioned this on the, on, on the podcast before it was i think year nine or something uh our english teacher I think, I think she just couldn't be asked for something for a couple of lessons. We were watching Alain de Botton's documentary called Status Anxiety. Like, this had nothing to do with anything we were studying in English. Oh, I think it was loosely related to death of a salesman, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, she decided to pull on Alain, Alain de Botton's Status Anxiety documentary for a, a, a couple of um, episodes. Sorry, a couple of lessons, not episodes. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> And that was the first, that was like my first exposure to, you know, overthinking the style of stuff, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, 
I thought it was cool before, but I didn't think this was like a valid stuff to be thinking about or something. I just, yeah, I wasn't really doing much of it. But then that kind of opened my mind almost to like abstract thinking about people. Yeah, I think I think that's basically it. Abstract thinking about people. And from then on, like, yeah, just never been the same. And that was like a very discreet turning point where I was exposed to a certain way of thinking and a certain way of reasoning. And it changed, yeah, it just changed my brain. And... I remember that one. There was another one. I was listening to a podcast. I've I've talked about, I think I told you about this. It's an episode of Radio Lab called uh, The Rhino Hunter. That that also like leveled up the way I think and reason about things. And there's maybe a couple of other points in my life that I remember. I don't really remember them actually. But that's the key base. Actually, no, at university chatting to my friends who studied philosophy about various things and hearing the ways in which they're they're sort of like taught and, and trained to think and approach and reason about things. That was really useful as really? well. Huh. Um, How so? Sorry? How so? Um, so what, what are you thinking about that? Just on the point on the point of inferences, the the thought that immediately came came to my mind when you were talking about kind of a child's inference engine is a thought process I distinctly remember having at the age of either six or seven uh it was it, it was that question of where do babies come from oh yeah mm-hmm. uh, and like uh, our w- one of our cousins had just gotten married um and i was sort of thinking huh where do babies come from like we we're at the wedding and there was this like procession and stuff and i was like yeah so how, how are they gonna have a kid yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and what i reasoned was that okay so uh two people get married and then it's the wedding ceremony itself, which is particularly salient because they like kind of walk underneath the Quran or something. <laughs> and then the fact that they walk underneath the Quran means that because obviously the Quran is like a magical thing, you know, obviously, uh, then that is what makes the baby ah, sort of divine conception. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was, <laughs> that, that was what I inferred right. from all of the data I'd yeah. gathered from the last it's seven re- years of my life. So reasonable <laughs> about how babies were formed did you tell anyone about this i know i didn't at the time i, I, I just assumed it was so obvious yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, right. they, they already know it yeah I mean, that's that's <laughs> yeah and i think uh, i think i think as well either after this or before this i remember distinctly asking mimi one time where do babies come from yeah and she kind of gave a sort of vague kind of answer is that, is that they sort of come from the bottom end. <laughs> and I assume she meant they come from the bum. <laughs> because, and, and for a long, 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 long time, I just, because, because I suppose when you're a kid, you have no conception that, that, that you, you know, the female anatomy is different to the male anatomy. Yeah. So you I just assume everyone's like you, and you're like, okay, aware of it. Yeah. cool, yeah, fine, I guess they come from the bum. <laughs> so for, for, for years and years, I believe the babies came out of the bum. <laughs> Um, (laughs) which was a very reasonable inference based based on all the data that I've got (laughs) sorry you were talking about philosophy (laughs) Um, yeah I mean that's great I'm trying to think are are there any other like I think it's rare to to be able to recall a specific like inference that you made as a kid or like a specific thing that you strongly thought I don't know I feel like there must be some like ask reddit threads where people are like you know what's something that you believed strongly as a child and that you then knew to be false yeah I used to strongly believe that. So uh, I, re- I remember when we were we were in Africa. So I would have been about like four years old. I used to be really annoyed that my socks would never fit. Right? Because, well, okay. All right. You know, this is going somewhere. And 
We have like <laughs> any time I'd wear a sort of the white sports sock type sock, it would yeah. f- it would fit like a glove. I'd be like, oh, this feels great. <laughs> and every time I'd wear so like we had this weird like yellow patterned kind of set of socks. Yeah, and I'd wear I'd, I'd try and squeeze that on it. It just it just it just wouldn't come on. Um, and what I inferred from this, because what Nani would say is that make sure that your socks are matching your outfit. <laughs> what I inferred was like, no. oh right, these yellow socks aren't matching my outfit. That's why they're not fitting. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, this was this was my thought process at the age of four. In re- in reality, you know, we're just getting hand me down socks from <laughs> from mother. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> May I've, I've I've always been a big fit child. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can, I don't think I can recall anything from age four. I do, what was I doing age four? No. Uh, hang on, I'm I'm trying to rack my brain. What else did I believe that was absolutely stupid? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't think of anything else. <laughs> yeah. Damn. The sock thing was good, though. <laughs> well Thank done, you. you. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> glad I can finally bust out that story. <laughs> Still got that one. <laughs> 22 years. <laughs> there are so few circumstances in which you can bust out a story like that. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> I was a real dumbass. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, so the thing I was saying, yeah, chatting some, <clears throat> yeah, about things with my friends who study philosophy. I think uh, one, of the, one of the, like, concrete things was that, yeah, I mean... Yeah, if someone like proposes something, a theory or something, or something they believe, then, you know, a, a, often a useful thing to do is kind of see what that looks like at the extreme end. Like think about an extreme case of something to see whether it still holds. And if it doesn't, then it's obviously flawed or some or not obviously flawed, but then there's something more to think about there. And yes, yeah, stuff like that. Um, so I think, uh, and then also like just being a, a lot more kind of measured and less extreme about things. Because I think, yeah, I, I think if if you're trying to think in that way, you know, you can't you can't just like make passionate extreme claims about things. Yeah. It's very like dispassionate, and I think that that that's another sort of oh on that thing note I picked up on. There was a distinct when when was the distinct moment where this happened for me? Where I think I think when I was younger, I used to just naturally believe a like just sort of in my head, I have a lot of extreme claims about things, and. And it was some. It was at some point at university. I think when I was first like really getting into the whole investigating religion thing for the first time, yeah, and having like chats with friends of kind of uh, from at at different ends of the spectrum of different religions. And one of the things that came up was just the idea that it's really really hard to defend an extreme position and very easy to defend a moderate position. Yeah, and just kind of. When I had that insight mm. at some point in second year, I was like, whoa, no way. <laughs> and then I, I realized that that was coming up in so many different contexts. Like most, uh, so, so most obviously in conversations with Mimi, where I felt like she was, ta- she was, she was taking a very extreme position. For example, there is like swearing is never right. Okay. Yeah. Whereas my position would be like, I agree swearing is not usually right, but th- there are, so, there are surely some circumstances in which swearing is a reasonable thing to yeah, be doing. Yeah. And she would be like, no, 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 swearing is never right. And then I, 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 w- I, w- I would be a little frustrated internally at this because clearly this was flawed thinking, yeah. trying to defend an extreme position. Equally, I'd, in, in my third year, I, I, w- I was getting into a lot of debates with friends who were studying uh, humanity subjects who were really looking into this kind of gender issues stuff. Um, one of the one of the sort of uh, fun uh, 
topics that year was the idea of uh, gender being a social construct, which was, you know, going around in sort of the, the, the 2014s right. uh, <laughs> amongst the uh, university uh, syllabuses. And a, a few friends of mine would would argue a lot of kind of gender issues, but I felt like that they were arguing from like an extreme case. Yeah. Whereas my position would be like, okay, fine, let's say gender social construct. Like, surely, surely you have to admit there is at least a tiny sliver of biological component here. I mean, come on. And they'd be like, no, 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 there is zero biological component here. And I felt that position, like arguing yeah. that position of sort of arguing for a hundred percent or zero percent. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, it's almost exclusively. It's just, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just always wrong, yeah. and it's just really hard to do. And it was, a, it, it was sort of around those conversations that I realized that this, I, I could abstract, right? Yeah, I could abstract away the rule from those examples. Yeah, yeah. and I feel like that kind of leveled up oh, the thinking nice. to the point where now, anytime I'm making an extreme generalization, I'm like, hang on, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hold, hold the f up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's a really good example. But yeah, I think there's like, there's moments like that. And like, you know, I think if you're lucky, you kind of stumble across these things, you know, once every three years or something, you might stumble across a new, a new thing that like sort of levels you up. But I think being taken seriously and engaged with seriously in that way by people who are thinking in a different way to you, that's like a much quicker way to level up. And if you imagine like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think if you do that with kids, they'll just develop a lot faster and, and yeah. One of the guys that I work with, um, he's one of the senior doctors in on the Optin Guy thingy. So he's got like a, a sort of eighteen month old child or something. Yeah. Um, or, or is she two? Or you know, just like a, a small child. Right. Um, and this guy's like very very posh. So he's 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 got like his his voice is kind of archetypally what you would expect a. Uh, a, a posh person to sound like okay and i was just like really curious because so, like he and i got on really well so like over lunch i'd, I'd sort of probe him about his like you know w what it's like to have a kid and what it's yeah. like to be married and, and stuff like that and he, he he engages really well with that sort of stuff um so one of the questions that i i like asking married people who will engage with the topic is to what extent are a sort of what proportions of the thoughts that you have about your significant other are indifferent versus salient positive or salient negative and he was like oh that's a really interesting question i you know it's it's not something i've, I've ever thought about hmm, let me think about it and he, he sort of like sat and like thought about it for like, sort of five minutes and sort of came up with some kind of right. and i was like oh this is really cool but in the context of kind of talking talking to his kid um i like i i, I can't imagine this guy ever doing baby talk right and i was like yeah <laughs> he's, he's, he's that sort of guy okay um and i was like yeah so what do you how how, how do you how do you talk to the kid and he was like oh well i i talk to her like i'm i'm, I'm talking to you right now and i was like no <laughs> sure, surely not and he was like yeah well you know i, I kind of want to treat her as a as a human being and i don't believe in this whole baby talk nonsense yeah. <laughs> and i was like oh my god that's that's revolutionary yeah 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 and he said that his wife was the one who does the baby talk and then he just kind of takes over and yeah and and, and talks in this in this sort of fashion yeah so and I don't know. I I, I I feel like we're pretty unqualified to talk about this, but I, I I get the impression there is a school of parenting that says you shouldn't do baby talk with the kids. This was something that was going around the internet a, a, a few months ago. I remember seeing on Twitter. I think so. Yeah, and like, yeah, I've thought about baby talk, and I I don't do baby like what what do you what do you mean by baby talk? Like and then like Google Gaga, like oh, aren't you? Cute? Oh, okay, like, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I I I've I've done some brief digging into this. Um, and I, it, I don't think there's any benefit to saying nonsense words at them, but there is potentially a benefit for them to hear new words. Okay. Like hearing new words is a big thing. Like, blue eyes, white dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Why did you think of that? <laughs> uh, because in Yu-Gi-Oh! Series 1, Kaiba reveals that the first words that came out of his mouth as a baby were <laughs> white lightning. <laughs> 
wow. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but yeah, I think like it's very well well agreed upon that hearing new words is like huge for child development. And um, there's a lot of there's um, a study that comes to mind actually that I'm, I memorized for my third year psychology exams using uh, Anki Flashcards Skillshare class on this coming soon, um, which is that uh, it's uh, they got like it's. It's a very invasive form of, of study, so you don't see it done much any anymore. But they sort of got people to play to, to have like recording devices in their households as they were raising kids from like the age of zero up to the age of like five, and they got like a load of different families to do this. Um, and they were looking at how many words the the children heard in the household right. by like age five. And there was a very, or like H3, I can't remember the exact mode. And, and there was a very interesting separation of this. So they found that the affluent families, the kids heard on average 3 million words by, by age three or whatever. They different found, words? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh no, just 3 million words in total. Oh, okay. I, I don't think there are 3 million different words, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> but 3 million words in total, whether through kind of talking to them or reading to them or, or whatever, the kids heard 3 million words. So that was the affluent families. Then they found that the white working class families heard the kids heard two million words by age three right. and they found that for the black working class families the children heard one million words by age three okay and this is one of those sort of interesting studies that lets you uh, where where people looking at race differences and things like iq and personality and stuff would use this study as an example of hey hang on i, I wonder what's going on here and obviously there's like you know hundreds of confounding factors yeah. um and depending I, I i guess the study was done in america like all these studies are and so uh, obviously you can't disentangle the environmental situation from the race situation but it's just interesting and 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 then in a lot of these studies they track kind of the iq of these kids for like later on in life yeah um and as one would expect they find that the affluent kids have a significantly higher iq and the less affluent kids have a significantly lower iq yeah. and this is true across like all all different races all different strata of the population etc yeah. so i think this whole like yeah i just wanted to bust out that for that little factoid oh nice so yeah yeah it seems like there, there's something to the, about the words thing but yeah back to baby talk uh yeah i think there is there is a school of like baby talk is bad for my recent uh, forays into child development, which is one of my uh, topics that I'm researching this month, <laughs> researching this month, <laughs> uh, it seems like, and like it's you know linked to like transaction analysis or whatever. It, it seems it, it's important for the child to have you know parental strokes, and so uh, hang on, can you define stroke for a moment <laughs> <laughs> for the people who have not listened to the three episodes in tra transaction analysis? Yeah, just acknowledgement and you know <laughs> physical and verbal and and stuff like that, and so. You know, it's it seems reasonable to to think that there is a difference between yeah I'm being extreme here, but like talking to your child in a monotone voice versus you know showing a bit more emotion and enthusiasm and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, saying nonsense words versus saying actual words, I feel like actual words might be better. Who knows? So going back to sort of the the, the initial point, which was uh, the title of this episode, which is a love letter to Zev Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> you feel that Zev Weinstein has significantly developed thinking. Yes. And you're querying what are the situations in our lives where, or sort of in lives in general, where you can point to a specific situation that has kind of leveled up your thinking yeah. in some way or another. Yeah, yeah. How do you kind of level up your thinking, basically? Um, I have a couple of... People talk a lot about... Um, the whole uh, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow by Daniel Kahneman as being like a sort of seminal book that leveled up their thinking. Okay. Um, I only really came across this 
after already being into like pop psychology so okay, like right. a lot a lot of the sort of pop psychology books that i've read about life advice which i'd sort of been reading from an early age uh had all these ideas of like you know uh, confirmation bias and selection bias yeah, all, yeah. all these different types of biases which i think is a big part of what people focus on when they talk about leveled up thinking they're like oh yeah you know you know i, I realized confirmation bias was a thing oh okay and i think that is a kind of a step up yeah. leveling of of your thinking when you do realize that you're like oh actually yeah i I fall prey to confirmation bias in so many different circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, I think that kind of stuff is useful to be aware of and, and give names to. Uh, and yeah, look, <clears throat> I'm sure there's lots of stuff you sort of take in implicitly over time that kind of levels things up. But I feel like... <laughs> Zev Weinstein, that guy. <laughs> yeah, I feel like engaging in cerebral conversations with people with, uh, who have different thought processes to you has massive gains and it's just really interesting and oh. fun. On that note, so this is something that uh, one of our school friends, uh, who I, let's call him John, um, he and I catch up for a, a cheeky Nando's like once every six months or so. Um, and he met this girl on some like, you know, trail that he was doing, like hiking across Europe. And he said that kind of talking to this girl was like hugely eye-opening because she was like a kind of smart person and kind of successful in her career and, and, and whatever. So put kind of that side of things aside. But she, her her thought processes for everything were just so radically different to his. Yeah, yeah. And so he he the analogy he used it was it was he he said it was like kind of peeling back the layers of an onion, and that you would talk about something and then you'd be like, okay, like why do we think that way and how do we kind of arrive at that? Yeah. And he said that the process of exploring these layers of an onion is like incredibly rewarding. Yeah. And I was like, oh damn, that actually sounds really good. Yeah, I love it. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that that was kind of the the thing that I was um mulling over. And I think a few, a bunch of episodes ago, after I just watched Jojo Rabbit. Oh, I still haven't seen Jojo Rabbit. <clears throat> you should see it, man. Do you want to re- rewatch it this afternoon? Or is it not that sort of film? We should keep watching Hunter x Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. It's not as life-changing as that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that I was like, oh man, kids, man, people don't can take kids seriously, all this kind of stuff. And you're like, well, give me some examples. <laughs> and then I couldn't really articulate myself. Yeah, you're like, oh, uh, well, just watch the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll get it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think I think by take by people don't take kids seriously. This is what I actually meant. Like seriously engaged with them on this sort of level. Like people take kids seriously. Like you know, if a kid's sad or something, people will care about the kid. They'll hopefully you know try and solve the problem and stuff. Like they're taken seriously in that way, but they're not taken seriously in the sort of you know, so cerebral the, way, the cerebral domain, in the cerebral domain. Uh, and I think that's really important. And I, I, I always try to do this. I try to do this with kids. And I think one big barrier, actually, so we we have a, a niece. And I think this was maybe like a couple of years ago. So she would have been like maybe three or four years old. And um, she said she wanted to play chess. We have a chess board in the living room. She claimed that she wanted to play chess, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> yes, I remember this. <laughs> and as soon as she said that, I was like, this is not going to happen. <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. Like she's, she, you know, She's shown an interest in this thing. Let's see. Let's see if we can actually do this. Um, and I tried very hard to, and like, look, three and four year olds are very capable of playing chess. They're three and four year olds that are, you know, extremely good at chess. It's not like a, th- a, a three or four year old's brain cannot understand chess. I think a big limiting factor is like the motivation and the sort of uh, focusing. Yeah, and like and like the focus and not getting distracted. So I like I tried to teach a chess for a while and um and there there was some promising signs like i think she i think she she understood how certain pieces move uh but she just get distracted a lot and that just made it really hard mm. and like look she probably you know when she said let's play chess she probably wasn't thinking 
I actually want to play chess with this guy right now. <laughs> that was a bid for a stroke. Yeah, that was and just like, you were like uh, yeah, instead you took it at face value. You were like, <laughs> all right, e4, e5. <laughs> knight to c6. <laughs> yeah. I'll be the knight. <laughs> That's uh, Ron Weasley from Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't in that sort of tone that he was... He was no. He was you're... like, as for me... I'll be the knight. Oh, really? <laughs> it's like at the end of it's like, boom, it's like, you know, badass pronouncement. It's not, I want to be the knight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. But yeah, like I imagine she she wasn't seriously wanting to learn how to play the game of chess. I imagine the board looked cool. She knows that this like, is a table, thing. Th- this is like me saying to you, I want to record a podcast, but really I just want to have a chat. <laughs> you never take me, <laughs> you never understand the meaning. You always take it at face value. You're like, all right, let's get the microphones out. Yeah, now we're 60 episodes deep into this thing. Yeah, I can't stop anymore. I just, I just, I just, I just couldn't confess it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think that I think that like the motivation of like actually wanting to do the thing is a big thing. And then the like focus is a big thing. And that like, yeah, I think the, the focus in particular is is a big blocker when trying to engage seriously with really young kids. Yeah, like I think so. I, I can think of, I think of so many circumstances where like I I genuinely want to talk to a kid, uh, <laughs> and and I've got them in my hands right, but they're just kind of darting their eyes and, and looking the other way and be like, oh, what's that thing over there? Like, like, like man, like it's fine. You, you, you can do your thing. <laughs> Who is that man? Um, yeah. <laughs> so the more, but I, I think this focus and distraction thing, like, really, just I've been. I've been getting into this. Uh, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to set this goal for myself where every day I'll write a thousand words of stuff. Yeah. And so I've been kind of obviously doing some some research on the Google uh, to find out sort of ways in which I can make this sort of be be more likely to, to carry this through. Uh, and one of the uh, the blog posts I came across from from ages ago said that um, we, I think the guy was still saying that. Can you stop that? Uh, the guy was saying that he he writes a thousand words a day a day and he's been doing it for the last three years. He said that anyone can do it, even you. Uh, all it takes is just the ability to focus. The good news is that's a learned skill. And I was like, oh, that's a, a very sort of pithy way of putting mm. the whole like focus thing. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like for me, I don't, I don't think about focus and managing distractions enough when sort of spouting, studying advice to people. Because yeah. I just sort of assume that you just can focus for an hour because how hard can it be? Come on. Yeah. But I think focus and distraction is a real struggle for a lot of people. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think in general, like, a lot of this stuff, like even the focus and distraction thing, it's kind of talked about in a very fixed mindset way. And, and people go around, you know, saying and thinking things like, oh, I get distracted easily or I, I'm just not that kind of person who can sit down and focus on something, you know. And um, yeah, it's not useful, not, not a useful way to think. Yeah, agreed. Right. Well, um, uh, anything else about Zeb Weinstein? <laughs> no, we'll link to the episode. Or, or should we get back to Hunter x Hunter? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that was like the main thing that I wanted to um, to bring up. Cool. Shall we do any insight insight of the week? I suppose this whole episode was just like a rambling insight of the week, wasn't it? Yeah. So do you want to read a review and we'll, 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 we'll call it a day? I'm just going to have a look through my favorite tweets. I was going to look through my Twitter drafts. <laughs> That's the difference between you and me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get better. This is my thing, my writing a thousand words a, a day to thing. Oh, mate. Right. I, I tweeted something an hour ago. Yeah. It's got 99 retweets and 367 likes. What is it? It is a quote. The quote is, this is my insight of the week. The quote is, we must all suffer one of two things. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret and disappointment. Oh, nice. Or maybe the pain of disappointment. Pain of discipline or the pain of disappointment. I think that's a... Mm. 
pain of regret. Yeah. So I saw that in one of the, in, in a blog post about uh, writing a thousand words a day, and I was like, oh, this is very tweetable. And then I tweeted it, and then like, immediately the retweet started like racking up. Nice, but you shouldn't play the retweet game. Yeah, I'm not playing the retweet game, mate. I'm well, I'm keeping it real on 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 the interweb by posting quotes. Yes, <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah, mate, I love quotes. No, I think I I do like quotes. I think quotes are great. Quotes are the one. Um, yeah, I need to redo my personal site, and we need to redo the podcast site, and organize things a bit better, and. Uh, yeah, I've started compiling a collection of quotes on my room. and Nice. Yeah. Oh, the other idea I came across in, in another podcast, which I think is worth maybe doing a whole episode on, is the idea of ground states. Maybe it's not worth a whole, a whole episode, but like a ground state is like the, the, thing, the thing that you do when you're not doing anything. Yeah, you're like basic attack. I think you've, you've mentioned it as before. Uh, yes, but I, I've mentioned in the context of my, my basic attack being like studying at university yeah. when sort of I had like this other whole other list of priorities. Um, this was in an episode of Invested Like the Best with Toby Lutke, the founder of Shopify, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. Um, and he, he was saying that he's he's very lucky because his ground state is that when he's not doing anything, he's not just sitting there watching TV. He's like actively trying to explore new topics and stuff. And that's just the thing he's always done. Yeah. Uh, and he was saying about how for a lot of successful people, he suspects that they have a huge unfair advantage by having a ground, a productive ground state. Yeah. I yeah. was thinking, oh, that's actually a really good point. I feel like my productive ground state is like reading something on my laptop or on, or on Kindle right? rather than watching TV, which I would usually get bored of, except Hunter x Hunter is yeah. starting to get compelling. Yeah. Look, I agree with this stuff. I I just think there's so much like anti-TV <clears throat> propaganda out there, propaganda out there <laughs> you that want to like, be a voice pushing in the other direction. Yeah, I want to push it in the other direction. Good for Toby Lucky that he reads in his spare time. Oh, he also plays other video games. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, like he's a big, he's a big video, video yeah. game advocate. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Reading is good. TV is good as well. Um, let me read. Oh, mate, I've got this draft that I've been working on for a while. I need to, I need to like uh, do some more work on it. Basically, I've noticed that every now and then, and these moments are becoming rarer and rarer as I grow up. But every now and then, something happens where I discover something that feels like it feels like you've kind of discovered a glitch in the simulation. Like you finally, you finally like found found the glitch that reveals that this whole world is fake. And uh, I think as a kid, everyone discovers one of these glitches, which is when the tap is running and you put a spoon under the tap and the water goes absolutely everywhere. <laughs> and like, it just seems so extreme. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's, it's so cool how like simple tap and simple spoon leads to this like fountain thing. So I think that that's, that's that's like the first glitch that I remember discovering. I discovered a glitch about a year and a half ago. And uh, this was basically that uh, if you have a waterproof phone and you take it into a swimming pool and you play music underwater, then you you can actually hear the music underwater. Have you ever done this? No, I haven't. Mate, it is unbelievable. It's like the coolest thing. It's like discovering an extra sense when you're, you know, in your 20s. You know, you just assume that by by age seven or something... Yeah, I know what all the senses are. Like, yeah, there's hearing, there's seeing, yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's a whole new sensory experience. So that, that felt like a glitch. That was like, wait, this should not work. There's no <laughs> way this should work. <laughs> but it does. Why, why, why shouldn't it work? Sorry? Why shouldn't it work? Uh, it shouldn't work for two reasons. Uh, the first is that, like, it's not obvious that your ear, you know, mechanics would be able to correctly, A, sense the vibrations underwater as clearly as above water and then b interpret those vibrations uh in exactly the same in the same way like you hear stuff crystal clear really so it's not like the underwater effect that you would see like in a no. video or something when someone dives underwater and the music's like yeah, yeah no not at all it's crystal clear oh. and like it, it doesn't seem obvious to me at all 
that your ear, you know, that that's how your ear would work. I would assume that it probably wouldn't work that way. So you're saying next time I go in a swimming pool, I could take my waterproof Bluetooth speaker and just chuck it in in there. Yes. And then people can just hear sounds underwater. It's unbelievable. Oh, amazing. And uh, yeah, the other the other reason I thought it was surprising is because it's also not obvious that uh, a speaker would be able to function as you know exactly the same underwater as it does above water. As in just kind of moving back and forth. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing that moves back and forth. I imagine like if you're now underwater, there's more resistance or something. I, I don't freaking know. I'm not, I'm not a scientist, but like that also doesn't seem obvious that that's how it should work, that that, that just works. So yeah, that was a glitch in the simulation. So I, I need to, I need to like uh, find a couple more glitches and then I'll do this tweet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, if there's yeah. one, if, if there's one glitch I've, I've discovered it's that girls will like you more when you're not interested in them. <laughs> but we can talk about that another time. <laughs> nice. Well, All right. well when, did, when did you discover that one? When did I discover that one? Um, I think at the age of 19. <laughs> like the second year of university. I can remember it vividly. Oh, nice. Because <laughs> I've been hearing about it from all these kind of like how to get girls type things. Everyone's like, hey, bro, you got to play it cool. Yeah. yeah. And then I was, I was like, yeah. the, only, the only time I actually, I actually actually applied it, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this, this is a superpower. <laughs> nice. Anyway, uh, should we re- read a review and call it a day? Yeah. Are you doing it? Yeah. We actually had a large influx of reviews in the past few days. Really? Yeah. I think it must have been the, the, the French accent I, I, I read the last one with. Uh, it must have been, but no one's mentioned that. <laughs> right, well. Uh, this is uh, from uh, Singapore. It's entitled uh, A Happy Stumble. It's from someone called Fort Militon. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, says, she says, I stumbled on you guys by accident. My first episode was a book discussion of The Courage to be Disliked. It was so intriguing that I had to get the book and read it myself. You guys are now my best source for new book recommendations and other interesting topics. Keep up the amazing work. Oh, thank you to uh, Fort Militon. Fort Militon from uh, Singapore. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I think this is another reason why we need to redo the site because the, like, if someone discovers a podcast, I'll oh, check this out, go on the website. Yes. There's we're, no obvious... We need a start here page. Yeah, there's no obvious as, thing of like... As our, as our, as our, as our colleague Dave Perel says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah, I think there are like some seminal episodes where... It is genuinely interesting and some you know, novel thing is being proposed or whatever. You know, some actually like more interesting episodes. And then there are some episodes where, you know, quite frankly. <laughs> rambling about Zev Weinstein. Right. Yeah. Just rambling about Zev Weinstein. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll do. We'll yeah, do no, we, soon. we definitely need to start here, Paige. All right. Cool. Um, good thanks, stuff. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you all next week. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at nOverthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.